Welcome to Bedtime Story Adventure 2020, Children's Urban Fantasy, one chapter a day up until Christmas. Chapter 3, Bird Bait. Moments later, much quicker than James had anticipated, there was a high-pitched whistling noise from above. He looked up and a tiny black dot in the sky grew bigger until it became falcon-shaped. A split second later, a peregrine falcon, the fastest animal in the world, was perched on the step next to James. No angry girl about to cause death and mayhem, it said in a refined voice. I'm disappointed, but at least there's no pigeons around. You needed me? I want to know more about the key to the air, James said, as confidently as he could. He hoped he wasn't wasting his, or the falcon's, time. The bird rocked from one large yellow talon to the other. What? No, thanks for coming, or hello, how are you? it said mockingly. Thanks for coming, James said quickly. To be honest, I wasn't sure that the feather was still work. Like I said before, it's very distinctive, seeing as it's part of a powerful key. Can you tell me more about it? James asked, hopefully. I know a few things about it but I'm not the subject matter expert. There is a book on it, somewhere, lost probably, along with a special map. A map? Over summer, we found a map which shows the underground rivers. The bird raised a feathery eyebrow. Well, aren't you full of surprises? It didn't sound surprised at all. And the map shows far more than just the rivers. As the keys became less and less used, and some were lost, the map and book were squirrelled away for safekeeping. But you'll need help to read it. I would speak to— There was a shuffling noise from behind. James twisted round and the falcon beat its wings furiously, pushing hard off the step with its strong talons. Wind from the falcon's wings lifted dead leaves and dust into the air. A shadow hissed through the air from beside the clock tower. A net with weighted corners. James leaned back to avoid it. The air went still as the net covered the bird, dragging it in a tangled mess to the ground at the bottom of the steps. James leapt down to free the bird, reaching out with his right hand to grab the net. A sound like a gunshot cracked in his ear as pain flashed through his hand, causing him to jerk it back to his chest. At first he thought it was an electric shock, then a deep red mark appeared on the skin on the back of his hand, and blood started slowly seeping up to the surface. The sound echoed around the park, sending a handful of pigeons furiously into the air from their perches on the clock tower. Not so fast, boy. A woman dressed in black walked swiftly toward him. She had a top hat on her head and a black whip held loosely by her side. A mass of black lines covered her neck. You've played your part and lured the bird, but if you touch the net again, You'll lose an ear for your troubles. James was sorely tempted to grab the bird, net and all, and make a run for it. But the welt forming on the back of his hand had started to throb. The threat to take his ear was real. Good boy, the tattooed woman stood at the top of the steps. Three small dogs trotted up behind her, with strange stiff-legged walks. Their faces were flat, but not like a pug. James wondered if they all had wigs on, like the one that had stolen Jenny's wristband. 
The peregrine falcon had been writhing in the net, fighting for a way out, but now it stopped. Find the Empress, it hissed at James. Ask her about the... The bird's words were muffled by a thick blanket thrown over the net. That's enough from you, Sky Spy, the woman said. Take it back to camp. The three dogs scampered down the stairs, gathered the corners of the blanket in their front paws, and tied them neatly together. Then another woman, taller and wider than the first, strode out from behind the clock tower, picked up the bundled blanket, and walked away down the hill. The little dogs trotted after her. Again, James was tempted to intervene, but controlled himself. "'What's this?' the tattooed woman crouched by his bag. She pulled out the wooden box with one hand. The other hand was still gripping the whip. She had been deadly accurate with it at a distance. Could she use it at close range, too? "'Don't think of rushing me, boy,' she said, opening the box. "'Take a closer look at the handle of my stinger.' She turned the whip handle toward him, and a blade flicked out, dull silver in the grey light. You wouldn't be the first human to test the sharpness of my blade. What do you want with the falcon? James asked, edging away from the woman. Just a little privacy. I don't like being spied on. And I want to know why there are local children carrying around such artifacts. She held up the box. I'll be taking these with me, and no need for you to go sneaking around the big top. All the schools will be invited to attend the performance, one class at a time. But that's mine, James said. You've got no right to take it. Don't I? she said, and she tucked the wooden box under her arm and set off back toward the circus. James was left standing, angry and speechless by the steps. He wanted to pick up a rock and throw it at the tattooed woman's back. But there were no rocks to throw, and his hand felt like it had been pulverised by a sledgehammer. A bruise an inch wide and two inches long was developing on the back of his hand. A thin, darker line ran through the centre of the bruise, blood still seeping out of it, forming a red line that ran between his knuckles. He flexed his fingers gingerly and groaned. The woman had taken the box— all of their magical keys plus the original badger stone were in it. The only stroke of luck was that he still had the feather tucked into his hat. The key to the air would not work without it. Slumping onto the top step, he checked his bag in the hope that one of the keys had fallen out. He sighed. The bag was empty. Once again, he found himself wishing he'd followed Jenny's advice. Now he'd have to tell her that he'd lost the bones of Kerberos. Confessions would have to wait, however. It was time for more private tuition. French this time. He swung his bag onto his back, then froze. A little dog was running toward him in a stiff-legged way. Probably been sent to follow him home. James looked around for a weapon. There was a thick stick leaning against the clock tower. It had been thrown and chewed a lot, but was heavy enough to do some damage to a little dog. Gripping with his right hand was painful, so he held the stick in his left and turned to face the dog. It walked awkwardly up the stairs and trotted over to him. Just a little nearer, then it would be within reach. James raised the heavy stick slowly above his head. A little nearer. Come on, doggy. The dog slowed and raised its flat face. It wasn't one of the three that had bundled up the falcon. 
It was smaller and more dishevelled. The fur on its chin didn't quite match the colour on its back. It looked at the stick, then at James, its eyes wide and sad. James let out a long breath and lowered the weapon. What do you want, dog? Come to follow me home and report back? The dog shook its head, then put a paw forward, dropping something on the concrete surface. It was a small blue folded piece of paper. The wind tugged at it before the dog trapped it under its paw. For me? James asked. The dog nodded. James took a step forward and the dog cowered away, shivering with fear. I'm not going to hurt you, he said. I was just angry with the others. He tossed the stick down to the grass at the bottom of the steps and crouched down and picked up the paper. It was tightly folded and quite old. James carefully unfolded it until he was holding a blue raffle ticket, number 604079. He held it for a long moment, thinking back to when he'd last seen it, in the old school hall, clutched high in the hand of an old friend. Did Elf give you this? His voice was quiet. The dog nodded. Is she here, in the circus? He pointed across the field. Why did she send you to me? Why didn't she come herself? The dog stood still. I want to go and see her, James said, setting off down the stairs. Thoughts of French tuition and his hurt hand were put to one side in favour of seeing Elf. Before he reached the bottom step, the dog scampered awkwardly in front of him, blocking his path. He stepped to the side, but the dog sprang lithely to block him again, shaking its head vigorously. James got the message. OK, so you don't want me to go down to the circus. I get it. I've got to get home anyway. But I need to know if Elf's OK, so tell me, is she OK? The dog stood still. Perhaps it couldn't understand the question. Is Elf hurt? No answer. Is she happy? No answer. James thought of a different angle. Is Grauf with her? I mean, the big wolf. Is the wolf with Elf? This time, a big nod. James felt relieved. If Grauf was with Elf, she would be safe. The wolf was not a creature to be argued with, even if you had a whip with a knife. Still, Something about the whole situation didn't add up. It would have to wait until after French. Time to go, I'm afraid. I've got to get... James stopped. The dog let out a pitiful whimper and shuffled behind his leg. Five figures were hurrying across the lower field. Even at this distance, it was obviously the two women and the three dogs. The dogs fanned out, one heading to the top entrance and another toward the rotunda. They were hemming him in. Uh-oh, James said. I better get out of here. He turned and ran, past the clock tower and into the trees. With the squiduckin key, he could have slipped into the Wellsbourne cabins. But the squiduckin key was in the hands of the tattooed woman. He reached the road that ran north-south along the edge of the park. If he went either way, he would run into one of the dogs. He looked back through the trees and couldn't see the woman, which was good. But the little dog that had given him the raffle ticket was still right behind him. Go away, he hissed. Go on. The dog responded by nestling up to his leg and shivering. The last thing he wanted was a scared dog tagging along. What he needed was an escape route. Get out of here. Go back to the circus. Back to Elf. Elf. That was it. Her old house was on the next road over, but its back garden could be reached via a driveway nearby. It was a good place to hide for a while at least. He crossed the road trying to remember the right driveway and heard a whimper. 
The little dog was standing between two parked cars on the other side, still shaking miserably and looking at him with big, pleading eyes. James tried to ignore it and kept looking for the driveway. Then he let out an exasperated sigh. After waiting for a car to pass, he ran over the road, scooped up the dog and crossed back over. You better not get me into trouble, he said, carrying the dog up the pavement. The right driveway was two houses up. He ran up it and squeezed around the side of the garage at the far end. Level with the back of the garage was a gap in the hedge. Or there used to be one. It was a wall of solid green foliage now. He put the dog down. Go on, he said. Find a way through. Go on. It's safe. The dog gave a whimper and didn't move. James shook his head and stepped over the animal, turning his back to the evergreen leaves and forcing his way through backwards. The new bushes weren't thick, and he was through in a couple of steps. Elf's old house was a hundred feet away at the top of the long garden. As far as he knew, the house had remained empty after Elf's parents disappeared. The garden was unkempt and overgrown, grass and weeds reached up to James's waist. If anyone lived there now, they clearly weren't fond of gardening. He felt a nudge against his leg. The dog had followed through the gap. James ruffled the hedge back into place, leaving no sign of their entrance. Dusk had arrived, and all lights were off in the big house at the top of the garden. How long would he have to wait for the tattooed woman to give up looking? Long enough to miss his French lesson, that was certain, which meant he'd be in trouble. If, by some stroke of luck, Elf's kitchen door was open, he could cut through her house to the road beyond and get home no more than five minutes late. He trod a path through the long grass and up onto the back deck. There was a big glass sliding door into the dining area. James tried the handle. It was locked. He tried to slide it open anyway, but it didn't budge. Pushing his face against the glass, he could see the key sticking out of the lock on the other side. It looked like he was going to miss his French lesson after all. He slumped down and sat with his back to the door, and figured that counting slowly to a thousand would be long enough to wait before heading home. The little dog watched him for a moment, then trotted stiffly back and forth in front of him. When James reached thirty-seven, the dog walked to the far end of the deck, gave a quiet grunt, then disappeared round the corner. Probably needed a doggy toilet break. At sixty-six, the sound of a key turning made James jump. He sprang up and looked round, ready to be shouted at by whoever lived in the house. All he could see was his own reflection in the dirty glass. A movement low down caught his eye. The little dog was pawing at the window from the inside. James tried the door again. This time it opened. How did you do that? His voice echoed unanswered through the silent house. Never mind, he said more quietly. I'm late for my tutor. Let's go. Apart from layers of dust, the house was in good order. A fruit bowl on the kitchen table caught James's eye. It had a set of keys at the bottom. Whether it was because he'd just lost the bones of Kerberos, or simply because he thought they might be useful, he picked up the keys and put them in his coat pocket. The front door was one floor up. James made sure to lock it behind him. Then he and his new doggy friend set off up the hill at a jog. He might just make it home in time for his French lesson, after all. <laughs>